Pat, I got to ask you a question. Now, over there in Germany, what are they playing on third and long? <laughs> I think they're going for it, Coach. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they go for every one of them? Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. not going to win many games over there. Then. You're going for all of them. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, in a special crossover episode, we're excited to welcome former NFL Hall of Fame head coach, Bill Parcells. Coach Parcells is here today to discuss turning around underperforming teams and organizations, how players learn, managing damage control, and we talk late game decision making and Coach Parcells' jump shot during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches looking to both support the podcast and connect and learn from other coaches around the world, becoming a member of SG Plus does both. For less than $30 a month, coaches get complete access to thousands of hours of curated and topical XNO and leadership content. Visit slappingglass.com for more information. We hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Bill Parcells. All right, we are really excited to be joined now by Coach Bill Parcells. Coach, thank you very much for making the time for us this morning. We're really excited to have you. Well, thank you. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. Absolutely, Coach. So one of the areas we wanted to dive in with you first is throughout your career, you've been someone that's been able to come into an organization or take over a team that was underperforming and within a couple of years or maybe even not even that long, able to turn that team around into a playoff or a contending organization. What were some of the fundamental elements that you wanted to put in place when it came to turning a team around and getting it back on the right direction? Well, one of the first things that I would try to do is speak to everybody in the organization, not just the players. I try to speak to everyone in the buildings that I was venturing into and to explain to them kind of what my philosophy was and what I was here to do and that I needed all of the support, even though things may be a little bit different from what's been done before, I try to enlist them to be conscious of that and know that when you have change, which I represent change, that things are going to be a little bit different. So I would hope that you'd bear with me while we're trying to integrate kind of a new philosophy into the system. And I can't do this without the support of everybody in the building. So I tried to initially at least ask for them to take ownership in what would be beneficial to all of us if we can wind up succeeding in this new enterprise. And Coach, those early conversations, how did you decide basically, you know, the people that you would maybe keep and the people that, you know, maybe had to either have a mind shift, a change of how they viewed things or people that maybe ultimately had to just go another direction with? Well, you know, I tried to give everybody the benefit of the doubt to start with. 
And then basically I was a kind of go by what I saw person after that. You know, it doesn't take too long to find out who's on board with you and who's not. You know, there are certain things that happen and occur and it requires a little extra effort on somebody's behalf or it's cast aside as something that's not worthwhile in their opinion and you're able to you know in a reasonable period of time determine who is going to you know get on board as you said and, and who isn't now you make some mistakes once in a while but you have to understand that you're coming in you're integrating a new philosophy into the system and the system is not going to be the same as what they were used to so you have to kind of allow them to have time to adjust to what's going on that's different from what they're used to. Focusing on your conversation with the players and when you were, like you said, implementing a new philosophy, how did you manage their egos and maybe some tougher conversations that you were going to have with them? Well, first I told all the players that I was there to just do one thing, and that was win. That's what I'm charged with doing. I'm charged with taking this franchise wherever it be and making an attempt to make this a winner. And there are certain things that are important to me as the leader of the organization now that I'm going to try to implement. And you as players need to understand what those things that I deem to be important to me are. Because if you misevaluate that, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to get lost in the shuffle. And some of those things always included the importance of the off-season program, physical conditioning, coming to camp in shape at the proper weight that we have agreed on, and being punctual, being attentive when you're there, and practicing and playing hard. And those were the things that I generally started with. And, you know, you try to just get them into a routine that you have, through your experience, determined that will lead them on at least a chance to have a successful season. Sometimes it takes a little while to get it going, but... At least you got them on the right path. That's what was important to me. Coach, a quick follow-up and maybe a little tangent. You mentioned trying to get your players to play hard. So I'm curious, how did you get them to play hard? And what did playing hard look like? Well, one of the things that I've had this very conversation, I'm going to give you a perfect illustration of what you're asking. If I had a player who I thought had more ability than kind of what I was seeing, I would take the player privately, bring him into my office, and I said, you know, whoever it was, there's numerous guys that I could name that are were marquee players in this league eventually that I had this conversation with. And I said, you know, one of the problems coaches and players have or conflicts that they have is when the coach feels like the player's ability is greater than what the player is showing or believes it to be himself. I said, that's where the problems are. 
And I'm seeing this ability from you, but I'm not seeing it transfer to the practice field or to the game. And I just want you to know that my expectations for you seem to be a little higher than what yours are. And that would be the quote I use. And I said, that's not a good thing. Because if we can't get on the same page expectation-wise, then it's going to wind up being an issue. So uh, that wasn't a warning, but that's the way I try to put it. And most of the time, the good players responded to that. Coach, did your approach change at all from time with the Giants and then to the Patriots and the Cowboys as far as when you went in and started to turn things around? Did you change or were you basically following a similar playbook at each spot? Well, that's a good question. I would have to say I changed because my experience gained at those other places allowed me to avoid some of the missteps I made in those early places. I mean, to know what the problems were and the inherent problems were when you go to a place, pretty much it's all the same. Once you get there, you see the problems to be kind of the similar ones. They may manifest themselves a little differently, but similar ones that you had to, at other places. And the only way you gain that experience is going through that yourself at a couple of different places. So, you know, I would say, yes, I changed because I was able to avoid a lot of the things that could have wound up being distractions because I'd already seen it before and I knew better myself how to respond to it. Coach, you mentioned earlier on you had a couple of missteps at some other places when turning things around. Do you remember some of the things that maybe you would have done differently? Yeah, I absolutely can. I think in my initial head coaching job, in my first year particularly, I was trying to be what I thought a head coach should be instead of just being Bill Parcells. And that was something that almost terminated my coaching career after one year uh, as a head coach in the NFL I'm talking about. So... I just wasn't myself. I was trying to be, uh, I don't know, I wasn't as hands-on. I was more an overseer. And you know what? I got second chance, thank goodness. It wasn't a sure thing that I was even going to survive my first year. And I got a second chance and I made up my mind. I said, you know, they might fire you, but it's going to be doing it your way. And I went back to trying to be myself, and I enlisted the help of some veteran players I had, and I told them what was going to happen, and they were happy because I had admitted that to them, and we went from there, and it worked. So I just say I was, I don't know whether I was lacking confidence, I don't think I was, I was just, I just wasn't myself. And, And you know, when you're pretentious in any manner of speaking, players, they smell that. They see that. Coach, you mentioned things got better when you talked with your veterans in the locker room. And I'm really curious your thoughts on vulnerability 
as a coach then and how vulnerable a coach should be and willing to own up to mistakes and how that helps in the locker room and then obviously on the field and getting results? That's a very good question. I think some people are not secure enough to do that. And I do think it can have a major effect if you are willing to do it because it kind of puts them in the same situation as you are. And you you let them see the side of you, the, the uncertainty of the environment that they know you're in. And you just explain to them what you're going to try to do and even admit some of the things you did wrong. You know, I can remember standing up in front of a team and saying, you know, if I do that stupid thing again, will somebody here please me re- remind me not to do it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so fortunately, I had the right kind of veteran leadership. I was just lucky. I had some really solid guys that were on board, and we had to go through some very, very difficult situations together. And I, I don't mean just on the field. There was a off-the-field stuff and things that that we had to engage together in to try to rectify. And that was, you know, I think that was very beneficial to me because, you know, the first time you do that and you get through all that stuff and you've shown your vulnerability to the players, then it's not a big deal anymore. Then you're just... You're just behaving like you normally would, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Coach, over the course of your career, you had amazing assistant coaches and people around you that you know went on to become amazing head coaches themselves. What were the traits or the things that you looked for when you would surround yourself with certain coaches or, and staff members when you were building these organizations? Well, one of the first things I liked was if the, if the guy was a coach's son. I had a couple of guys on my staff, Bill Belichick being probably the most popular, that was a coach's son. Now, Mike Zimmer is another one, the coach of the Vikings, that's a coach's son. Now, those guys have been hearing this stuff at the dinner tables. They're seven or eight years old. Right. I always liked it if a coach happened to be a coach's son. Now, of course, all of them, some of the very greatest coaches I've had were coaches' sons, but that was something that always, I know, I always kind of liked it because there this guy is, he's hearing about this coach in his whole life, and he still wants to do it. Right. And, you know, and that's a good thing. So, you know, that's one thing. Then the other thing, of course, was does he like football? Did he like football? And not only did he like football, did he like sports in general? I know myself, I'm like a, you know, I like football, I like basketball, I like baseball, I like horse racing, I like boxing. I mean, they're, they're a, I'm just a sports guy. Yeah. And I like those guys that that know what's going on in other sports. And I like guys that know the history of the game of football. And I've had players that they know more than you would ever expect a player to know about the history of the game and their predecessors and who were the great players before them. And you'd be surprised. They know. Some of these kids know. And they come from places that you would least expect them to know. And they know. And so when you determine that, then you know they're interested in the game and being a participant, that kind of thing. Coach, 
you favoring or liking assistant coaches that also liked other sports. Did you feel that helped make them more well-rounded coaches or brought better ideas to the table because they were viewing other sports with different strategies and concepts? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think they're interesting. You know, some of the best conversations I've ever had in my career are with head coaches or baseball managers or basketball coaches from other sports and the thoughts that they have on structure, discipline, getting the best out of players, those kinds of things that were invaluable to me as a coach. And coincidentally, the idea or the thought that I was able to take and integrate into my system came from a guy, you know, say managing baseball like Tony LaRusso. I've had quite a few conversations with him about things and some of his ideas, and I hope vice versa, some of mine, you know, went to him as well. And I use that a couple of times. I can recall vividly a couple of situations he had in baseball and he asked me about it. And how would you handle this in football? And I explained to him and then he told me what he was going to do baseball-wise, and I saw and watched that. And, you know, it, it was it's interesting. And you learn a lot from that. And you're seeing it from a totally different perspective, which is helpful. Obviously, then, when you get to the field and the practice and putting in the work, I'm really curious to hear how you viewed teaching and ways that you helped guys learn on the field and about the game. Well, that's another very good question. Sometimes I just ask the player this simple question. What's the vehicle that allows you to learn the best? Mm -hmm. Is it hearing it? Is it being explained in the meetings? Is it showing you on the blackboard? Does it come from the playbook? Or does it come more from the practice field? How do you feel like you learn best? And most of the players when you ask them that question, are very forthcoming on what they think because they know you're trying to assist them in doing their job well. So you want to set up an environment that allows them to be successful. And maybe a guy needs a little extra meeting time. Maybe a guy needs a little extra film work. Maybe a guy needs a little one-on-one -on -one technically. Or maybe on the field, you have to show them the situation on the field Exactly, because he can only relate it when he sees it on the field rather than in the meeting room or on the film or on the blackboard. And I think finding out how the player learns is an important thing for a teacher. Coach, we want to switch over now to a fun segment that we call Start, Sub, or Sit. And so we, <laughs> we, we, we've got a couple of uh, questions for you here. And so we'll give you three different topics ask you to start one sub one and sit one and then we can have a fun little discussion around your answer so coach the first start sub sit question for you is uh, we know you were a heck of a high school basketball player as well before your time as a, a football coach and so we want to ask you about the best part of your game as a player so start sub or sit your jump shot your passing or your post game passing <laughs> okay <laughs> okay passing i would start that okay and then where'd your jump shot fall 
I would probably sit down with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm guessing then your post-up game would be sort of second I, in that list? Yeah, I think so. So, Coach, I know you were a good player in high school, and you said your passing was number one. So I guess what kind of high school basketball player were you? Well, I mean, I was a lot of times a go-to guy, but, you know, I wasn't as good as some of those other go-to guys. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, that's, you know, I mean, I was a pretty good rebounder and that kind of stuff. I could make close-in shots, you know. My outside shooting was average. Okay. I mean, once in a while that go in, you know how it is. <laughs> okay, Coach. Well, our next one we have for you, kind of getting back to the coaching and leadership, is how you evaluated late game risk and decision making. So start, sub, or sit was your decision making in late games based upon analytics, your team identity or preparation or the flow of the game and just kind of having a gut intuition based on how the game's been going? The flow of the game, I would start that. I mean, that's the one, I think that's situational football. You know, different things occur. The elements are involved. The opponent's involved. There are a lot of variables that are not generally taken into consideration in analytics. So Mm -hmm. that would be the most important for me. The second most important would be my reliance on the preparation and the strengths of my team as I determine them to be. And the last one would be what the numbers say. Coach, how much would you, in the middle of the heat of the game, ask your assistants or, you know, base any decision off of kind of bouncing ideas off of someone or was it all the decision on your own? Uh, I think I quite, that would be quite a comprehensive thing. I mean, that was, that was going on continually. And I would also tell them in advance what I was going to do as the situation looked like it was going to evolve. In other words, I, I was trying to give them a little heads up. Okay, here's what I'm thinking about if we get the first down here. Here's what I'm thinking about if they make a first down here. Here's here's what I'm thinking about if we get the ball in the scoring zone. I would try to put a little anticipation in their head so that they knew how I wanted not only our staff but our team to behave in that situation. Coach, within the flow of the game as well when you're trying to make decisions i mean as a football coach you've got you know special teams you got offense defense you're talking to your quarterback you're talking to all sorts of assistants as you progress throughout your career how did you prefer to get information throughout the game from the people that you needed to hear from most i was on the offense and defensive headphone so i could hear everything all the time that was going on, whatever side of the ball was involved, and I could explain or tell them what I wanted to do as we were going. Special teams, as the situation began to come up, I would normally take my headphones off and talk directly to my special teams coach. If we don't get this, we're going to punt it. If we don't get it, we're going to kick the field goal or you know, I want to run a return instead of a block. 
just try to, as best I could, choreograph the special teams. Let's run the fake here, that kind of thing. Sure. But I would talk directly to the special teams coach myself, and he knew that he had to be somewhere where we could verbally communicate without any issue. So that was his job as the situation started to come up to get near where I was so we could talk about it. Coach, you mentioned anticipating, you know, what could happen as the flow of the game started to play out. Pre-game, would you, with your coaching staff, anticipate scenarios or bounce ideas of what you would want to do, you know, if we're based on the opponent and if a situation arises? Absolutely. And also the elements. I mean, what is the wind like? What's the field surface like? Where is the sun in the stadium to start the game? Do we want that, you know, to our back or in front of us? And obviously you want the sun in front of you. So, you know, the, the receiving ability, the receiver be turning his back to the sun when he's trying to catch the ball. So yeah. those kinds of things, absolutely. We always discuss those kinds of things. The elements, whether you're going to kick off, receive, whether we're going to play a field position game, whether we're going to be aggressive offensively early, or I don't want to say conservative, but just kind of let the game come to us. How are we going to approach this game and that absolutely would be something we would talk about well coach you're off the uh, start sub sit hot seat so thanks for answering a couple of those questions for us before we close we really thank you for coming on and spending some time with us we've had a lot of fun talking to you so thank you for that you're welcome i enjoyed being here we'll get you out of here on this question i know that your high school basketball head coach mickey corcoran was a major influence in your life. And I'm wondering what it was with that relationship, what you learned from Mickey that you tried to pass down in your years as a mentor and as a leader to other coaches that you had within your circle. Well, it would take me a long time. He was everything a young man, and I met him when I was 14. He was everything that a young man needed. He was a teacher. He was a coach, he was a friend, he was a butt kicker, he was a disciplinarian, he was all of the above, and he evolved into being like a second father, and then as I became older and advanced in the coaching profession, a built-in confidant that I could go to at any time. And I would say... The most valuable thing, and I I think about this often, and I've passed this on to a lot of coaches, the most valuable thing that he taught me is never let the player leave the practice field or the locker room if you've been critical or hard on a player, you do damage control before that player goes home for the night. And you talk through the situation and why you behaved the way you did or why you were trying to explain this technique to him so that he had peace of mind in knowing that he had done something that we needed to alter 
but you weren't mad at him for it. And that that was one of the main things. And we used to call it damage control. Going to the player and saying, hey, are you understand why I'm on your case about this? Do you get this? Let's go through it. So we got it together. I said, that's what I'm here for. That's what my job is. And to those kind of things, I think that was probably the most valuable thing he ever taught me. Because he would never let me leave the gym. And there were some highly volatile situations that I was a young guy that needed to be addressed. I was very temperamental. I was pouting. I was overly aggressive. There were a lot of things that I did that I need to be reined in on. And he did that, but as he did it, he took the time to explain to me why. And that's invaluable. It really is. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Coach Bill Parcells. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, the SG Plus membership, and much, much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.